0: We're coming to a, the end of First Peter, and um, it's been very enlightening on how much um, First Peter kind of mimics what we are living out in our, our day and our age. And just a reminder to you guys again that um, Peter is writing to a, the church that is under the rule of Rome. All right, and he's getting he's getting. In, and, and it's getting increasingly antichrist in the environment of Rome. and I don't know if you know this or not, but when it becomes antichrist, it becomes anti-Christian, which means it becomes anti-you right right So what he's telling Christians, he's telling Christians here, especially in, in last week in this this fourth chapter that we're we're going to be starting. He's telling Christians that we are to live for heaven on earth. We are to live for earth for it to be on earth as it is in heaven, but we need to prepare for hell. We need to prepare for hell. In our day things aren't much different spiritually. Than the times that Peter was writing to, right? And uh, Christians are constantly looking when there's times of persecution, when, when the world, you know, most Christ, Christians, we want to raise our family. We want to enjoy life. We want to enjoy God. We want to worship. We just, we just want to live life in the presence of God and, and love our families and love our neighbors. And when the world starts getting twisted, when the world starts heating up, when, when, it becomes, it's when the world starts looking more like hell than it does like heaven, it, it kind of causes Christians to go into a tailspin. Um, and, they, and then they start looking for a word. They're, they're always looking for somebody to have some word that's going to save them, right? They're, they're looking for, what's going to get us out of all this mess? Right? Right? And and God gives us His Word. If you want a Word from God, you need to open the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the primary way that God speaks to His people. I believe in prophecy. I believe believe in words of wisdom, words of knowledge, all, all of that stuff. But the primary way that God speaks to His people is through the Word of God. Right? And truthfully, if you hear a prophecy, if you have a word, someone gives you a word, or speaks a word over the nation or over the church, it needs to line up with the Word of God. Amen? And that's what we're doing in 1 Peter here. We're jumping into the Word of God and we're seeing about what God has to say about the days that we are living in. And when it comes to Scriptures, The scriptures, you have to realize they're not primary the Bible is not about you. Primarily. It's written for you, but it's not about you. And if you've been here any amount of time, you should know who's it about? Who's the what's scripture about? Maybe you don't know. Jesus! The Scripture's all about Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. Jesus is the climax of Scripture. He is the Word that became life. That's what Scripture's pointing to. All Scripture points to Jesus. It's a book about Jesus, and it's a book about Jesus, but it's for you and me. And that's exactly what Peter is showing us. He, he's pointing to Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus' life. And then he shows us how we are to live our lives as followers of Christ. So let's jump into it. You're going to enjoy today. Last week was on suffering. This week is about evil being done to you. So it's an exciting, exciting time. So in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved! You, you got to stop right there. I mean, what what pops when you hear "beloved"? What pops in your head? I mean, "beloved" means prized. It means valued. It means to be in a loving relationship. It, it, it's it's to have great and great delight in someone. Great delight in someone. You know, parents they they have great delight in their children. They love their children. But then there's even a greater. Greater delight, and that's in grandchildren, right? Grandparents have, have they trump; they're the top, top, top of the love chain, right? Because my parents allow my kids to do things that I was never allowed to do, right? I'm sure the same will be with me. So, but beloved, and and what should pop in your what should pop in your mind? I mean, if, if, again. Scripture, you interpret Scripture through Scripture, is where did you first hear Beloved? It was when Jesus went down into the Jordan. He was baptized. And the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove. And the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus hadn't preached one sermon. He hadn't performed one miracle. But yet, He was the Beloved. And One thing just to point off, I don't want to get on a rabbit trail because we've got a lot to cover, but you know, when Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted, the devil came to Jesus and he says, if you are the Son of God. Notice what he left off. He didn't, God didn't say this is my that this is my son. He says this is my beloved son. If you are the son of God, the devil left off. If he didn't say if you are the beloved son of God, and you need to understand, is the devil will come to you and tempt you, and he will make sure he will do everything in his power to make sure that you're not reminded that you're beloved. That you're beloved. Because his, his temptation has no power over you when you understand how much your Heavenly Father loves you. And that's what Peter is telling us here. That we, now, in Christ, are the beloved of God. And that's just an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. Peter says that you are when you are a Christian, we too become the beloved. We are loved by God. Now I got a question for you. He's talking about he, he's, we're looking unto Jesus, we're looking to Jesus, and Jesus was the beloved, and now in him we, we too become beloved. But did Jesus' life look like he was Beloved? No. By the way that he was treated and what he suffered, does it look like God loved him? He was hated. He was abused. He was stolen from. He was betrayed. He was abandoned. He was denied. He was falsely tried. He was arrested. And then he was murdered. If you were to look at Jesus' life, it does not look like He was loved. But He was loved. He was the beloved of God. And you need to understand that you too are loved despite the circumstances that you might be experiencing in life. You are not forsaken, you are loved. So the question is, is how do we follow Jesus' footsteps in the seasons that are the most painful? In the seasons that are the most tempting? In the seasons that are the most trying? There's a, par- a powerful lie in religion, and your mama probably even told you this, this lie, Sorry, tell you. And, and when I tell you this lie, you, you might dis, you might disagree with me, but um, it, it is it's it's a, it's a lie. And, he, and here's the lie. And we don't always say it this bluntly. You know, we, we put spiritual ease on it and make it sound spiritual and all these things. But it says here's the lie: if you do the right thing, then life will be good. If you do the right thing, then you'll be blessed. i got a question for you. Did Jesus do the right thing? Always. He was the only one that was always right. Did His life go good for Him? I knew you guys were going to love this message. Um, Things did not go well for Jesus. And here's a truth that you won't like, but it's true. There's two ways that we worship God. We worship God in the good times with our praise and our worship and singing. People think of that. But there's also another way that we worship God. And we worship God in our suffering. Do you know that in this world, we have an opportunity to worship God that we'll never have in heaven. We have an opportunity to worship God in the midst of our suffering, through our suffering, by our suffering, that you will never, ever, ever have the opportunity again to do once you're in heaven. Most people don't understand this. Most people don't understand that suffering, if you're suffering as a Christian, as you're suffering for a believer, as you're suffering for the cause of Christ is an act of worship. Dare I say that maybe, could it be, the highest form of worship? I'm talking about suffering from the dominion of darkness and its children. I'm talking about when you're trying to live for the kingdom of light as a child of God, and evil is done to you. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised. How many Christians are surprised? Don't be surprised at the fiery trial. Any of you in a fiery trial? I think we all are. It's called America. Right? It's called America. And don't be, don't be surprised at the, the fire trial when it comes upon you to test you. It's not coming to punish you. It's coming to test you. As though something strange. I mean, it's unexpected. It's totally bizarre. Who would have thought this could have ever happened? Why did this happen to me? Did you, have you ever said that? I thought God loved me. It's unexpected. It's strange. Why is, this, why is life so difficult? We're happening to you. Seasons of life has something that Peter calls fiery trials. I mean, if we're going to use the Bible, we should use all the Bible, right? There's things in life called fiery trials. And when you think of fiery trials, what does it make you think of? It makes me think of hell. When you're experiencing hell in life, things are progressively heating up here in our culture for the church. And I'm not talking about it in a good way. You want to experience some fiery trials? Just simply get on Facebook. Type in, I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. I believe that that's the best for society. I believe that's the best for for healthy um, culture. I believe it's best for the children. Just simply do that. And see the firestorm that comes from your so-called friends. Peter is writing this letter, and he's under the authority of Rome, the largest, most affluent, most successful, most powerful nation on the planet. It's the America of his day. But it's a nation that's in the process of self-destructing. Racial fighting, political fighting, national states, regions, we're all fighting and imploding from the inside out. Rome was imploding from the inside not from forces from the outside. And in the midst of all this, there's this small minority group that was a counterculture to the Roman culture. And they were despised by the non-believing Romans. The religion was actually outlawed at the time of Peter writing this letter. Christians were actually called atheists at this time because they only believed in Jesus. They only believed in one God. They didn't believe that Caesar was God. They didn't believe in all these other gods. So they were actually considered atheists at the time. They are also considered cannibals because they talked about this thing called the Lord's Supper where they ate the flesh and drank the blood. I mean, this doesn't happen today, does it? People don't get things twisted and wrong about you, do they? They don't get things twisted and wrong about Christianity and what true Christianity is. Do they? But this is, this is what Peter was dealing with, and thank God we don't have to deal with this stuff. Because um, the problem really rests in this, is that we believe in one God, And we believe that there is an enemy to the things of God called Satan. And Satan counterfeits everything that God does. He has never had an original thought. He just takes the things that God has created, that God has put into place, and perverts it and twists it and screws it all up. And points it back to Him. So, your worldview is not just about what you believe about going um, the afterlife. Your worldview also is about your thoughts about the political system. Are you going to believe what God says about the political system, or are you going to believe the counterfeit? It also has to do with the economy. Are you going to believe what God says about how economies work and operate? Or are you going to believe the counterfeit? It's, our belief is social. Our belief is in the arts. What is art? What, where does art come from? Where does beauty come from? It, 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 it ties into knowledge. It ties into government. It, it ties into every aspect of our lives. And the Christians at this time was a counterculture to the culture of Rome, and it was causing things to start heating up for them. Too many Christians have reversible jerseys. On Sunday morning, they have the Jesus jersey on, and then when they walk out the door, they flip it on, flip it over, and it—I I got the culture of the world jersey on. Again, just jump on social media. Christians said we can't worship Caesar. A phrase that we talk we you hear all the time very often in the church is this phrase. Jesus is Lord. Do you know that that was a counterculture statement when it was first written in the Bible? Because there was Christians weren't the first ones to say somebody was Lord. The very first ones to say it was there was a saying throughout the Roman Empire that you had to say Caesar was Lord. Caesar was Lord. And they, Christians, they started saying, no, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. So that statement right there was very political as much as it is Spiritual. In the Roman culture, alliance to Rome and, and the government was mandatory. But Christians says, no, you're, you're telling us things and commanding us things that are contrary to God and the Word of God. So we can't submit to your law. We have to submit to the Word of God. And this caused problems. For Christians. Again, we don't experience anything like that, do we? This put them at odds with their nation. It put them at odds with their culture. And as our nation and our culture continue to depart from biblical truth, this too is sounding all too familiar, isn't it? Isn't it? Is it true? Is it true? Do you feel that things are starting to heat up? If you're afraid to post God's truth on social media, that just proves my point. See, the names and places change but the spirits behind them never do. It might be a new day for us, but we're still fighting the same old demons. Peter here is being prophetic, and what he's doing is he's preparing the church for extreme persecution. If you want to know what that extreme persecution looks like, go into 2 Peter. This is leading up to, and we're going to talk about him in just a second, the Emperor Nero taking over as Caesar. And things are just starting to warm up as far as persecution goes for the Christians. And, and if we do not turn our culture and our nation around, we too could experience the same type of persecution. the lives that we enjoy was because we lived in a society that was founded on biblical truths. The lives that non-believers enjoy in this country was because of the Bible and was because of Jesus and because of people with high moral character. and we 're starting to see that those biblical principles, those biblical truths, those eternal truths that they're not and not even only biblical truth but natural truth, which is still biblical truth because God created everything, even natural truth, the foundations of, of human life of what is a man and what is a woman. Listen, church, if they if they can make you question what a man is and what a woman is, no wonder they can get you to start believing about UFOs. Because they can get you to believe about anything. Peter is prophetically speaking to the church here and 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 the church we have something that today the church today we have something that they didn't have we have a seat at the table we have a nation that's not ruled yet by a dictator we 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 have still have rights and we are not the minority do not ever let them tell you that we are the minority so we have a chance through the power of God and through faith and through love to turn this ship around. But that's going to take some fiery trials. That's going to take some persecution. That's going to take some nasty things on Facebook. That's going to take some standing up for what you believe in. And love. Because our, our main goal is not to win an argument. Our main goal is to win people. Amen? So we must prepare for some fiery trials along the way. And I say this not to scare you. I say this to prepare you. So don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. There are are some things that will get worse before they get better. And for them, in 64 A.D., an emperor took over by the name of Nero he was ungodly. He was horribly evil. He was a demon-possessed man. He was the beast of revelation. Literally, his title, Nero Caesar, when you, in, you translate it into the Hebrew alphabet, literally means 666. He was literally the beast. And he loved killing God's people. He loved killing God's people. And what happened is fire broke out in Rome. Fire broke out in Rome and, and, it, and it almost totally destroyed the Roman city. The jewel of Rome. And Nero just happened to be out of Country, out, of, out of Rome for his birthday, celebrating his birthday. He just happened to be gone. And fire went through the entire great city of Rome and Nero was not concerned about getting it put out. He didn't return to Rome. It, it actually burnt for five days. It burnt for five days. I mean, le- leaders would never do this stuff. And as a result, everyone lost everything. And they started turning on the emperor. They started turning on Nero. In Revelations it talks about a a fatal wound to the beast, right? And then he's revived. This fire was the fatal wound to the beast, but then he does something to revive. revive. And We're going to get to it in just a second. There was a thought that Nero allowed the city to burn, or even that he st- had it started himself because he wanted to rebuild Rome, rebuild Rome in his own image and to his own glory. I mean, we don't, we, we don't have any discussions about tearing anything down in this country, do we? And rebuilding it. Hmm. And as a result,. Everybody lost everything and there was mass political revolt. So Nero says, The Christians, he blames the Christians. He blames the Christians for the fire. There's this weird group of people called Christians, and and, and they talk about the flames of hell, and they talk about what God, that God will judge unbelievers. It's the Christians that live. Let the city on fire. I mean, Christians don't get blamed for anybody's hardships nowadays, do they? Why they're not happy? Everyone's mad. Everyone's angry. The city is about to explode. And Nero says, the Christians did it. Take your rage out on them. And they did. It went from opposition to state, Sponsored persecution of Christianity. Now Nero had Christians fed to the wild beasts in the gladiatorial games, right? He would wrap us in resin and pitch, then run a spike through us while we were still alive. Then he'd put us in the ground in his courtyard in, in royal gardens and leave us there alive until it started getting dark. And then He would light us on fire while you're still alive to light His governmental parties. You might think it's bad now. It's been much worse. In addition, He would draw and quarter us That's when they tie a rope on your left foot and your left hand. They tie a rope on your right foot and your right hand. Then they tie the ropes to four horses. And then they'd whip the horses and they'd take off, pulling you in four different directions. And then leave you alive to die a slow and painful death. These are the people who are receiving Peter's letter. Nero would kill Paul. Paul was beheaded by Nero. And Nero would also oversee the crucifixion of Peter upside down. Peter, Paul, the apostles, the Christians of that day, they got in trouble. Not for doing what was wrong, but for doing what was right. And you will get in trouble. There's there's no way around it. You have no choice in the matter. We're all troublemakers. We're all troublemakers. You are either going to go along with the decaying culture of our day and our time and and get in trouble with God or you will be a counterculture. You will do what God calls you to do. You will say what God tells you to say. You will live for the glory of Jesus and get in trouble with the culture of the world. There's no way around it you're a troublemaker. And you're always going to get in trouble. One way or another, you're going to get in trouble. The question is, who will you get in trouble with? And what will you get in trouble for? Here are a few things that you need to be aware of when it comes to the fiery trials. When it comes to fiery trials, understand this, this isn't heaven. So don't be shocked when hell shows up. Right, we as the church, we are to be living, we are to be promoting, we are to be expanding, we are to be um, encouraging heaven on earth, God's ways being manifest in our society, right? But we still live in a world that's in rebellion against God. We still have a a, a defeated foe that's been cast down from heaven, right? And He is creating trouble on the earth. So don't be surprised when hell shows up. Second, if you are fully for God, then culture and government will eventually be against you. Third, don't confuse the world's hatred of you with the Father's heart for you. Don't confuse God's love for you when you go through a fiery trial. Just because life is hard does not mean that God does not love you. And Peter goes on in verse 13. He says, But rejoice! It, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when he is, His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of the glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a person on Facebook, a meddler. Um, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. He says, but rejoice. What? What? We're supposed to rejoice in the midst of fiery trials? We're supposed to rejoice in suffering? Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. When you're suffering, we are to what? We are to, we are going to, when we're going through it, we need to look unto Christ. We need to look unto Christ that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. He says, if, if, if you are insulted, does this still happen today? Do you get insulted for the name of Christ? Do you get insulted for being a Christian? Are you hesitant to let people know that you're a Christian? You are blessed, He says. Does it feel like we're blessed? No, it doesn't feel like we're blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Jesus Christ, did He suffer? Yes. Was He slandered? Yes. Was He insulted? Yes. Here, here's, just, here's just some things that they said about Jesus. They said He was a glutton. You know what that means? That means He was an addict. He was an addict. He always went in excess in everything. Then he, they called Him a drunkard. That mean, They said that Jesus was an alcoholic. He was an alcoholic. Then they said that He was friends of sinners. You know... Those, these are the Christians that said these things. Not the Christians, the, the teachers of the relig- religious authority. We see the parties that Jesus goes into, and we see there's women with miniskirts in there. I don't know what's going on in there. I've never been in there. But I'm, I'm sure that, you know, it can't be good what Jesus is doing in there. Right? Then, then they said that he was illegitimately. Born. That means Mama slept with a lot of men, and Jesus didn't know who his father was. There, there's literally in the Bible. There's core, there there's dialogue between Jesus and these these people, and, and, and they they said you don't even know who your father is, and he says I yes I do I know who my father is, and he says no you don't. He goes well I know who your father is. Your father's the devil. It was like rock, paper, devil. Jesus wins. Right? They called him demon possessed. He was arrested as a criminal. Can you imagine that today? He was mocked. He, He was mocked, king of the Jews. While he died on the cross, they mocked and slandered him and said, Look at him. He saved others, he can't even save himself. Little did he know, did they know that he was saving the entire world. Jesus was beloved, yet he suffered and was slandered. To be beloved by God means to experience suffering and slander by the world. He talks about joy. Jesus' joy, it wasn't based on what was going on in His life, but it was was based on what was going on in His Spirit. His joy came from deep down within Him. It was a spiritual joy that superseded every negative thing that was coming against Him. And you have the Spirit of the living God living in you, and the Word of God says you have that same fruit of joy abiding in you. And, and, and the Scripture says the joy of the Lord is our strength. It doesn't say the joy of our experiences <coughs> are our strength, does it? <coughs> but yet, that's where we're at. Is that if our experiences don't bring joy to us, we lose joy. We lose hope. We become bitter. We become blaming to God. Hebrews tells us, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him. The joy that was set before Him. What was set before Him? He, it says that He endured the cross. That is what was set before Him, and yet in Him, He found joy in it. Why did He find joy in it? Because He's seen you. He's seen me. He's seen the world being set free from the kingdom of darkness. He's seen the Spirit of God coming in to the children of God and being recreated. And we too have been given that same joy through the new birth. He despised the shame. And He seated Himself at the right hand of the throne of God. You can have joy not in your circumstances, but what God does through your circumstances. You can have joy in the midst of hardship because of the grace that rests upon you in the midst of hardship and what God does through those hardships. That's acting like Jesus. He says, You are blessed. You are blessed because the Spirit of the glory and of God rests upon you. In the midst of hell, God will give you the grace to endure and come through. God is not the cause of our sufferings. But there is a knowledge, there is a knowledge about God that you only know as you go through the sufferings and enduring the evil of this world. you understand that? God doesn't cause these things to happen. Evil men, evil women, e- the kingdom of darkness is what causes the trouble. Right? But... Despite God not being the cause of it, there is something when we, by His grace and His ability and His power, when all we have is Jesus in the midst of a fiery trial, there is, there is a knowledge that we gain from that where we really come to know that we're truly beloved. Beloved. What it means to be truly beloved by God. Then Peter says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Glorify God in that name. The name what? Christian. you get to understand when he wrote this, there's only three times in the New Testament that the word Christian is, is written. And when Christian was first given to believers, it was derogatory. Christian means little Christ. Look, you're trying to be little Jesuses. You're trying to be little Christ. It was a derogatory name. And what Peter is saying here, that if you're going to suffer, and they're going to call you a Christian, (laughs) then bring glory to that name. Accept that name. Yeah, I do believe in Jesus. I'm trying to live my life like Jesus. Jesus is Lord of my life. I live according to the Word of God. Yeah, I guess you're right. I, I'm a Christian. So what does this look like today? What does this look like today? Well, let's say I was in a conversation and I said, you know... I want all humanity to flourish. I want people to prosper. I want there to be joy and love and peace. And I see that Marxism, communism, does not lead, doesn't produce that in the world. It's never been successful anywhere it's been tried. Well, that's because you're a racist. No, uh, um, let me try something different. Okay, I believe that healthy societies work best when we have healthy families. I believe healthy families are a husband and a wife. A husband and a wife raising children in the instruction of the Lord. Oh, you're one of those two bathroom people. You're so binary. So binary. And on top of it, you must be a homophobe and a bigot. No. Man. Um, I think what would really help society is if we encourage fathers to take their responsibility as leaders in the home and to work hard and provide for their family and their children and lead an example for their, for their kids. Well, you're a chauvinist. You must be one of those patriarchal Dictator, believe in patriarchal dictators. Oh man! Well, I believe that life is precious, and I and I believe that 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 the unborn need to be protected. Oh, oh so you're anti-choice, and you're anti-woman, and you're a sexist. Well, <laughs> this is getting tough. Um, well. I believe that the word of God is is what's best for society. I believe that if a man doesn't eat or doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. I believe that those that don't take care of their own family are worse than an infidel. infidel. And, and I do not believe socialism is, is the answer to the the the, uh, the the disease that's plaguing our society. So you're a racist oppressor, huh? Well, I just don't agree with you. Well, that's because you're privileged and a narcissist. Well, let's talk about Jesus. I believe Jesus is, is the answer. I believe Jesus is the only way. Oh, so you're an intolerant religious bigot that believes that there's only one way to heaven and it's your way. Well, I believe in, in the Bible. What, what? You believe in the Bible, that, that book is hundreds of years old, and it's full of Western cultural ideas that have been a miserable failure and needs to be deconstructed. It needs to de- be demolished, and it needs to be done away with. No, it's actually thousands of years old, and it's not a Western book, it's an Eastern book, and it starts out with two people, and they're male and female, and how did I come up with all this? I just opened up Facebook. Here's some thoughts on suffering. If you believe that biblical Christianity is the most loving and helpful for society, then love people enough to remain steadfast, not out of anger to defeat them, but out of love to save and deliver them. Another thing is the only way to avoid suffering and slander is to say to have to say nothing, to do nothing and to have nothing. Another thing that we can do with suffering is turn your critics into coaches. Allow them to train you to be a better Christian. Allow them to train you to to Think about the way you say things and present things in a way that it draws them to the love of the Father and to Jesus. The third thing is, if you've already given God your sin, why not also give Him your reputation? And the fourth thing is, the power and joy of the Spirit are often waiting for you in the darkness. See, we must not worry about being on the wrong side of history. Everyone, you hear people say, I, I want to be, you don't want to be on the wrong side of history on this. We shouldn't worry about being on the wrong side of history. We should be worried about being on the wrong side of eternity. It should not matter to you who judges you, because you know that God one day will judge them. Verse 17. For it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the Gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. What's he saying here? He's saying that fiery trials they test the Christian. God expects more from Christians than non-Christians. He expects more from those that are filled with the Holy Spirit in the grace of God, than those that aren't. And when fiery trials come, those that don't know God are exposed. We're talking about Christians here. When fiery trials come, those that really don't know God are exposed. And those that do know God are pur- purified. An example. Here's an example. When, when persecution started rising on Jesus, and, it, and the fires were starting, starting to heat up, and there was more and more... Opportunities of, of them trying to, to kill Him or arrest Him and take Him. And, and, the, and the pressure just started mounting and Jesus' language and His conversation started changing about dying. Judas, Judas showed who he really was. And he showed that he was on the side of hell all along. And he betrayed Jesus. The persecution, the pressure, the fiery trials exposed Judas for who he was. A man that didn't trust in Jesus, trusted in himself. He did not do good. He did evil. We don't see churches doing that today, do we? Pray for them. But then there's also... The purifying that comes through fiery trials. And there was a man named Peter. We're reading his book right now. And, and the, the fiery trials and the persecution came up. And he tripped. He stumbled. He fought, he, 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 followed, he 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 did what was wrong. But he truly did love Jesus. He truly did love God. He truly wanted to do what was right. Yes, the persecution, the pressure caused him for a moment to forget who he was and who Jesus was and and what was this was all about but because he truly loved God he repented in that suffering and turned back to God and he purified God purified him through that suffering and now he was courageous now he's encouraging the church in the midst of fiery trials now He's being led to a cross himself. And he says, I am not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. So why do I say all this? Why, why, I mean, you, you guys look excited this morning. It's because if I prepare you for the worst and the best comes, life is going to be easier but if I prepare you for the best and the worst comes, life is going to be impossible. See, we got this thing in Christianity right now where we're either talking about escapism where Jesus is just going to pull us out of all this or we're talking about revivalism. Revivalism of our government. Revivalism of our political systems. Revivalism of spiritual systems. I'm all for that. I'm all for revival. That is my number one choice. An awakening and a, a repentance of our nation to turn around and go the other way. But it doesn't always happen. And yet God is faithful in the midst of tests and trials, tribulations and persecutions. And as I said before, I say it again, Rome is no more and Christianity is larger, more broad, more influential, more people are being born again today than they ever have in world history. God is faithful, and You are beloved, and Jesus is Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank You. We thank You for the Word of God that is so timely. We thank You that it's edifying, that it causes us to be more more dependent on You and less dependent on our ability and our security and our wealth and our wisdom. Heavenly Father, we thank You that the Spirit of God rests upon us. We thank You that the grace of God rests upon us. We thank You that, that in, the midst, in the midst of the fiery furnace, You are there. And Father, there are people in this room. They have lost loved ones. They've lost, lost friends. They've lost co-workers. They've got a, a, a bad reputation because they're a Christian. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that You would comfort them. That You would be their joy. That the glory, Your glory would rest upon them. And they would be filled with overflowing joy and excitement for being treated unfairly, unjustly for the name of Jesus. Father, You are the only hope for our world. You are the only hope for our nation. Jesus, in His way, And his way of doing things is the only hope for society. And we ask that we would live in such a way that in this time, in this hour, we would cause the choice to be clear between heaven and hell. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you that you all along. In Jesus' name. Amen.
1: You've been listening to a
0: message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.charisntc.org And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.